Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. How awesome is the outfield position? Well, they only take up four of the first five picks in average draft position. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome to our outfield preview part one. Frank Sample back and joined as always with Scott White and Chris Towers. First, a thank you to both of you for holding it down last week. And I want to thank everybody who checked in over the weekend. Feeling a lot better uh, and am excited to be back. As I mentioned, we're hitting the outfield today. But before we do that, I did want to let everybody know about Paramount+. Plus. You've probably seen the journey to Mount Paramount spots featuring Bill Cower, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, Beavis, and Butthead. Yeah, quite a squad, but Paramount Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount Plus. Stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, and new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek, Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this, it's where you can dive into live sports from us, CBS Sports, including the NFL, March Madness, the Masters, and Champions League Soccer, plus stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Smithsonian Channel, and Comedy Central, live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment, Paramount Plus, streaming March 4th. Scott is here, and I would like to ask how your weekend was, Scott, but uh, I know it was your anniversary, and, and this is a family show. So we will talk yes. about the outfield <laughs> instead, and specifically when it comes to uh, drafting outfielders in Roto versus head-to-head points. Roto, you need five outfielders typically in your starting lineup, whereas in head-to-head points and head-to-head categories, you usually only need three of that position. So how does your strategy change when drafting for each format? It actually doesn't. I know the the logical answer would be you need to focus on outfielder a little earlier in a in a roto league, a five outfielder league, just because you have more of those spots to fill. But you have more of everything to fill, I guess, except pitchers. Well, even pitchers. Uh, so I think we're outfield. Um, the good thing about outfield is that there are just so many of them that you can find everything there. And I mean everything in terms of talent levels. You can find your studs. You can find your, you know, not quite studs, but really good players. And then there's just like a mountain of sleepers at the end of it, just because there are so many bodies there. And specifically for a a Roto League or a Categories League, you can find people who meet very specific category needs, like a ton of base dealers there, even guys who can help you in that category late, batting average specialists. So it's... Even though the infield positions are deeper than they've ever been, I still like what's available in the outfield in those very late stages of the draft. I still like what's available in the outfield more than anywhere else. And so, you know, probably my last two hitter spots to fill in a Roto League are are probably going to be outfielders. That's just always the way it goes. And I might not get my first outfielder until uh, around 10 or 11, uh, just because I feel like there's a lot more to miss out on at other positions early on. Chris is here. What's up, Chris? How's life? Oh, oh hi. What's Hello. up, man? Uh, is it, 
Regarding outfielders in a head-to-head points league, when you only need three of them, do you find yourself maybe shying away from them earlier on in drafts, or will you be cognizant of filling the spots too early in a draft because you only need three of them in that format? I'm I'm never cognizant of anything. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I, you, you want to draft the best players, and for the most part, positional scarcity isn't that big of a concern. And where you might be concerned that you fill in your outfield too early is in those three outfielder leagues, but... Positional scarcity is arguably even less of a thing in those leagues because you only have one of each position to try to fill. So, you know, you usually don't run out of good options. Um, There are definitely times, sure, where you've drafted too many outfielders early and then you your best player for like three rounds in a row is an outfielder and you kind of feel like you're waiting. But like that's a good problem to have and your starting lineup on in week one is not going to be your starting lineup in week three, let alone week 23. And so you shouldn't worry about that too much. You should, if you have too many good outfielders, it'll work itself out. Yeah, it usually does. Um, Regarding this position mentioned today is going to be part one of our preview. So we're going to hit the top 25 players-ish in ADP, some sleepers, breakouts, and bust as well. But I really do want to give the... The, the due diligence to the top uh, the top of this position here. And I know some people complain, uh, well, when are you going to get to like the, the mid-level talent and, and the later round talent? Don't worry. We're doing two pr- uh, preview episodes for this position. So we'll have a lot of that on tomorrow's podcast as well. Is this position good? I think so. I think it's really damn good. There's a lot of elite talent up top. I think that you can hit it in the mid-tier as well. Um, uh, but maybe these guys feel differently. So let's jump into some of that ADP analysis. And... The consensus top four outfielders, uh, I think people are going to disagree on what order they have them, but it seems like there's a pretty obvious consensus top four, including Ronald Acuna, who's going at pick 1.2 on average, Mookie Betts 2.0, once, not Mookie Betts 2.0, like there is a different version of Mookie Betts, his ADP is 2.0, Juan Soto at 4.2, and Mike Trout at 4.4, that is ADP according to fantasy pros, and it seems like all four of these players have a great combination of both floor and ceiling. Scott, how would you rank this group in Roto versus head-to-head points? How does it change for you? That's Acuna, Betts, Soto, and Trout. So I rank them in in a categories league, a Roto league, 5 by 5 league, whatever you want to call it. I rank them exactly how they go here in ADP, Acuna, then Betts, then Soto. Uh, Recently moved him ahead of Trout. Um, if it was a points league, Acuna goes to the back of that group and he's still, he's still fourth in the outfield rankings, but you know, he slides behind a few other players at other positions too in a points league, because the main thing you're paying for with Acuna is the massive amount of stolen bases he's expected to give you. And while those are still worth something in a points league, uh, they're not essential like they are in a categories league. So you can live without them and you don't have to pay up for them. And uh, the amount of points Sakunia is going to give you is likely less than those other three. That's Soto and Trout. The one thing to keep in mind, however, would be that if he was able to get his bat back to the 2019 levels while keeping 2020's plate discipline numbers, he could belong at the top of that group as well. This is because he did spike his Ronald Acuna spiked his walk rate up to like 19% last season. It did come with a career high strikeout percentage, but he's the the worst strikeout rate for by far. Yeah. The jump and strikeout rate wasn't as bad as the jump and walk rate was good. So, you know, I I haven't run the numbers, but I would imagine that would be a, uh, a net positive. Yeah. It felt like entering last season, there was more of a discrepancy between what we were expecting from Acuna in a Roto League versus a Points League. So that plate discipline um, improvement that we saw last year, that that massive walk rate, definitely helps for Acuna in that format. And I would say I expect the batting average to bounce back just based on the quality of contact that he makes. He hits the ball so, so hard. His BABIP last year for Acuna, 302. The year before it was 337. It was 352 as a rookie. So I would expect that to bounce back a little bit. He was playing... Um, Banged up. The wrist injury, I think, right? Uh, For Acuna last season. Fun fact regarding Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. They are the only two hitters, not just outfielders, to average at least four fantasy points per game 
in each of the past three seasons. So they really do both excel in that format. Uh, Chris, I'll throw this one your way. How concerned are you with the potential RBI projections for both Ronald Acuna and Mookie Betts? Both are expected to hit leadoff with the patch, uh, with the pitcher now batting um, ahead of them in the National League because there's no NLDH. So does that worry you at all, the, the RBI potential RBI output for either one? It's a little worrying, but you know Acuna did drive in 101 runs in 2019 while playing most of his games as a leadoff hitter. I don't think he did all of them, uh, but the switch was fairly early on. Um, and you know, last year it was like a 75 to 80 RBI pace. I, I would think it's probably something like actually it was even higher than that because he only played 46 games, so it was probably like an 85 RBI pace. I still think you're expecting 90 RBI from him, and I because. Th- you're talking about a guy who could hit 40 home runs. And I still think, I mean, yes, you might be losing a little bit RBI, but he might score 130 runs at the top of that Braves lineup. So you're, you're paying for, you're losing one, but you're gaining the other. I don't think it matters so much. I brought this up before. I think when we were doing the outfield tears podcast, but the last 162 games for Ronald Acuna, 150 runs scored, which is he's averaging that's, almost a run scored per game. Over that's the, quite a few over the last 162. So yeah, I mean, especially with his improved walk rate, uh, you know that he's going to score a lot of runs as well. And we've seen even like great leadoff hitters in the past. Uh, DJ LeMahieu did it in 2019. He had over 100 RBI. Charlie Blackman has done that in the past for the Rockies. So it is not impossible. I'll just uh, and, I'll put it that way. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is. They're batting at the top of really good lineups. So both Mookie Betts and I think especially Ronald Acuna could be, you know, in line for 700 plate appearances. You know, it's possible that you're talking about a difference between, you know, Ronald Acuna and let's say Juan Soto, who among the top hitters is probably going to bat lowest in the lineup. You're probably looking at Ronald Acuna getting a 10% bump in plate appearances. Yep. It's really, really good point as well. And I think that's something that also helps him in points leagues because obviously more opportunities for fantasy points only helps, right? So more played yep. appearances equals more fantasy points. Uh, I've recently moved Juan Soto ahead of Mike Trout in both formats as well. I heard you guys talking about it on Friday's podcast regarding this new report that we got that Juan Soto wants to run more. And I don't see why he wouldn't based on that report, right? I mean, Scott, you usually bring up the fact that uh, stolen bases are mostly motivation, right? So if he's talking yep. about doing it more, why wouldn't he actually do it more? Not like I'm projecting yeah. a ton more steals. Like I'm, I'm expecting Soto to go like 25 steals or something. But mm-hmm. I think this helps his floor get up to around 15. I don't think that's crazy for Juan Soto. So I have moved him ahead of Mike Trout in both formats as well. Yeah, it's, it's largely a matter of intent, but... It's it's kind of, uh, um, I don't know, catch-22. I'm not sure if that's the right application here, but where it's largely a matter of intent, yes. But still, people, particularly in, a, in a, an athletic uh, context, they don't always follow through on what they say. <laughs> so uh, I think more than anything, and I said this on the last show with Chris, what it tells me is that the stolen bases aren't going anywhere because – that's what usually happens to middle of the order hitters when their bat becomes so valuable that it's not worth having them run anymore. And Soto would certainly fit into that, uh, that, uh, uh, category. I, I mean, we've kind of seen that with trout. It took a while for trout to get there, but that's essentially where he's arrived. It's not like he's slow all of a sudden. Well, uh, the, just, that's the, that's the thing is that Juan Soto is kind of slow. Yeah. <laughs> Like his his max his sprint speed through three seasons the highest it's been is 59 59th percentile uh, there was a big drop to 32nd percentile last season maybe that's a result of you know a small sample size and he didn't have all that many competitive runs because he was hitting so many home runs and doubles and you know he just didn't have that many opportunities to uh to put it into high gear or it could be that he's always been a you know he's a big dude and he's filling out and maybe he's just you know, not going to be particularly fleet of foot. And so mm-hmm. this question is always so hard because Mike Trout is still, I think, 94th percentile in sprint speed or was last season. Uh, he's actually like right behind Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis and these guys who are 10 years younger than him. And so it's 
if you were asking me who could steal 20 bases between him and Juan Soto, I think Mike Trout has definitely the skill set to do it. Right. Uh, we just, we haven't gotten a quote saying he wants to. I right. Guess. And, and since the totals tapered off the past couple years, and I've pointed this out before, we saw it happen to Trout earlier in his career. It looked like they were tapering off. They came back. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't think we can completely rule out Trout being, you know, maybe a 15 to 20 steal guy. Even Manny Machado, his, his steals total has gone up and down. It happens, but clearly you yeah. can't count on Trout for steals anymore. And I think this report from Soto wanting to steal more bases at least tells me stolen bases are going to remain part of his game. I don't know if he's really going to up the rate that he runs. He's going to be a 30-30 guy all of a sudden. I'm not counting on that, but... I at least feel confident, more confident with Soto than Trout, that stolen bases are going to remain a part of his game. Yeah, you guys referenced it. The last time Trout's stolen bases were declining three years in a row, that was in 2013, 14, and 15. Uh, the, the very next year, in 2016, he went on to steal 30 bases. So is it impossible? No, he's still a freak athlete. Uh, it's just a matter of, does he actually do it? So we'll be watching for Mike Trout, whether or not he will. Uh, the last thing I'll point out on Mike Trout is as great as he has been on a per game basis, he is, he has missed an average of 33 games per season from 2017 to 2019. So he's usually due for at least one IL stint. I don't know how much stock you want to put into that, but it is a factual statement that he has missed time. Christian Yelich seems like he's become uh, a bit of an island player here on ADP at 11.8. He's kind of like the middle point between the the outfielders we just talked about and then that group of Cody Bellinger and Bryce Harper that we're about to get to. But Scott, what the hell happened to Yelich last year? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was one of several players who the strikeout rate just exploded. It was much higher than we've ever seen from him before. And given the odd circumstances of the season, the, 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 the buildup and then slowing down and then building up hurriedly and not having access to video in games and just so much weirdness going on. I'm kind of giving all those guys a pass. And Christian Yelich's case specifically, all the other underlying data still looks amazing. I think in terms of exit velocity, uh, hard hit rate, I think it was his best ever, right? Yeah. I don't have it pulled up here, but it was, yep. it was yeah, so best ever. It's just he struck out 30% of the time when he's normally a 20%. That's a huge increase. Um, and then I think he had some bad Babbitt luck on top of it because the expected stats look better than the actual stats. And I mean, and he's always been I, a high Babbitt guy. Yeah. I, I, I think he's going to come roaring back. And, and you know, wouldn't it surprise me if he's in the MVP discussion again? I don't have any hesitation to take him late in the first round. It's, it's hard to take him some of. Uh, over some of those other guys who can contribute in five categories and actually did it last year. And, you know, some of the elite pitchers, given the scarcity of, of uh, that position, the, the demand for those elite hurlers. But, you know, you get to a point there at the end of the first round where there's a drop-off in talent and Yelich has got to go right then. It's kind of like if Juan Soto had Christian Yelich's 2019 season, but with half as many steals, I feel like we would be thrilled with that outcome. He had 329 with 44 homers, uh, 197 combined runs in 130 games, and he stole 30 bases. If Juan Soto does that and steals 15 bases, I think he would. Be, people would be absolutely like astonished. I think that would be like a wow, Juan Soto is such a monster. And Christian Yelich already did that, except he stole 30 yeah. bases. I mean, he was on a 50 homer, 35 steal pace. I think. You know, I'm I'm right there with you, Scott. I I have him four dollars less than uh, Mike Trout and Juan Soto, and you know, one dollar behind Acuna and Betts. Uh, after that, or Acuna and Betts are five dollars ahead of him. Sorry, uh, but I I would not be at all surprised if he out earns all of them. That season that Chris mentioned in 2019, absolutely massive year. Christian Yelich finishes the third best player in Roto despite playing just 130 games. He averaged 4.7 fantasy points per game in 2019, which was by far the best amongst uh, all hitters that season. Uh, And I will just uh, add this to everything that you guys have said. He was coming back last year from a fractured kneecap. That was why he only played 130 games in 2019. So he basically missed the the entire, uh, all of September in, in, in that season because of a fractured kneecap. I think he fouled the ball off of his knee and that's how that happened. Yep. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, if, if he you need another reason, second MVP in a row, if he hadn't gotten hurt that year, probably. If you if you need another reason to uh, to buy back in on him, he was coming back from that injury last year. So I will just let's wrap it up with uh, this on Yelich, Scott, the confidence o meter, one to ten. Ten, you are the most confident in this player. There's no chance that this player can bust on Christian Yelich. One to ten. Well, I think if I was going to say ten even though, you know, that's what the heart wants to do, then I'd have to rank him in the top five, right? So I'll say nine. Fair enough. Chris, yeah. same. Yeah, nine. I think Mookie and Juan Soto are probably the only, or Mookie and Mike Trout are the only tens out there. The second round is dominated by Cody Bellinger at pick 15, who also has first base eligibility, and we spoke about him quite a bit on our first base position preview podcast. And Bryce Harper going at 18.6 in ADP. Chris... Why would anyone take Cody Bellinger over Bryce Harper? Unless it's just an age thing. Because Bellinger is 25 years old and Harper is 28. So maybe, you know, maybe that actually matters to some people. But Harper has been better than Bellinger in two of the past three years. And I think it's pretty clear that Bellinger's floor is lower than Bryce Harper's. And and now he's coming back from shoulder surgery. So why are people taking Bellinger over Harper? His... His displayed upside in recent years has been higher. You know, Harper has been really good, but, you know, he's maxed out at 268 uh, batting average over the last three seasons. He's maxed out at 35 home runs, maxed out at 15 stolen bases. I guess that's a little higher than than Bellinger's max stolen bases. or It's the same. Bellinger, he had that 2019 season where it's a 305 average, 47 home runs. It's... You know, 236 combined runs in RBI. If Bellinger maximizes his skill set, it's probably going to be better than Harper, although I don't think we can rule out the possibility that Harper still has. I mean, he has one of the best seasons we've seen by a hitter of the last decade, his 2015 season. His 2017 season was not quite as good, but was still very much an MVP caliber season if he had stayed healthy. So... Uh, I don't think we want to rule out the possibility that Bryce Harper could play like a top five player because he has that stolen base potential as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up regarding Bellinger. Sorry, Scott, I'll let you jump in here. But, uh, you know, I think if people wanted to argue that Bellinger's upside is higher and he finished as the fifth overall player in 2019 when he won the MVP, I mean, Harper's upside, we've seen it in 2015. You know, if you want to say that all right, he's too it's far. Just a long time ago. Yeah, he like he's too far removed from that. I guess that's a fair argument, but um, but he was the top six player, and his stat cast numbers, Scott Bryce Harper's but, stat cast numbers yeah. were really really good last year. So why why are yeah. people taking Bellinger over Harper? 20, 2015 was a, a long time ago when he won the MVP, had that amazing season. But his expected stats, according to Statcast, were even better last year than they were in that twenty fifteen season. He only hit. 268, slugged 542 last year. At surface level, I mean, it was good. It was still a good redemptive season for Bryce Harper, but he was, according to Stack, has expected batting average should have been 307 versus 268. Expected slug should have been 657 as opposed to 542. Um, And even if you want to say, okay, that's, you know, I don't know how much I want to buy into that completely. You just look at the way his plate discipline changed last year. It was the first year in his career that Bryce Harper walked more than he struck out. And the improvement in strikeout rate, especially, I mean, what was really scaring me about Bryce Harper was the way the strikeouts kept going up and up and up. 26.1% was the highest it reached in 2019. You know, that's, that's getting to a real concerning level. Uh, you, you you really start to wonder about the batting average potential at that point. It dropped from 26.1% in 2019 to 17.6%. It became it went from the career worst strikeout rate to the career best strikeout rate. And I understand it was in a small sample. Yeah. Uh, but still, from a guy who we've seen put up MVP caliber numbers before, and considering that specifically was the biggest concern surrounding him, the, the reason I was starting to consider Bryce Harper not a fantasy stud anymore. I think it's very encouraging. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to the point that I, I might be about to the point of dropping Bellinger behind Harper, actually. Uh, yeah. Mostly, you know, all that stuff for Harper helps, but it has just as much to do with my concerns about Bellinger. The fact he's coming off shoulder surgery, hasn't even been taking full swings yet here. 
uh, spring training's getting ready to start. He's not he's not back to swinging a bat in full yet. Uh, and he had all the mechanical stuff going on last year. It just seems like for a second round pick, those are more worries than I want to take on when you have an exciting alternative here in Harper. Yeah, regarding Bellinger, <clears throat> excuse me, he is only taking one-handed swings as of now. And Dave Roberts said that once they get into spring training, they'll see how Bellinger responds to taking swings every single day. And, and that's when they'll know like where he's at. That's a lot of risk to be putting in your late first, early second round picks. So I love the player Bellinger. You know, I'm not knocking him. I just think the situation regarding the shoulder surgery. Uh, and let's be honest, last year was really not that great for Bellinger. Struggled against lefties two of the past three seasons. I just have concerns with him being drafted that early. So I will be taking Bryce Harper ahead of Cody Bellinger. But after Harper goes around pick 18, 19, we see another, we don't see another outfielder drafted until Eloy Jimenez at pick 35. So there's a pretty big drop there to the end of the third, early fourth round. There are six outfield eligible players being drafted in rounds three and four. That includes the aforementioned Eloy Jimenez, Kyle Tucker at pick 37, Luis Robert at 39, Whit Merrifield, who also has second base eligibility at pick 40, Marcelo Zuna at pick 44, George Springer, who is now with the Toronto Blue Jays at pick 48. And there are a lot of decision points here, but I, it's a very interesting group. I want to focus on each one of these players individually and I'll start with you, Chris, because I know that you've been a little bit skeptical regarding Eloy Jimenez. What is stopping him from being that the next elite four-category contributor? Because I think we have a potential Nolan Arenado-type player in the outfield regarding Eloy Jimenez. So what do you think? There are not many very good fantasy players with Eloy Jimenez's profile, uh, specifically with regards to plate discipline. Over his, the course of his career, he basically has five strikeouts for every walk. I can't think of another player. I think Jose Abreu probably comes closest, but he doesn't strike out nearly as much as Eloy Jimenez. It's really hard to come up with a player like that uh, who doesn't steal bases and is a very good fantasy player. Nolan Arenado, okay, you want to mention that. Well, Nolan Arenado was, you know, has been consistently a below-average strikeout player. The other problems for Eloy Jimenez, he scored 26 runs in 55 games last season. That's a 70-run pace over 150 games. He's played 177. He scored 95. That's like an 85-run uh, pace or maybe a little bit below in a 150-game season. So you're kind of looking at a guy who's going to be a zero in stolen bases, uh, quite literally a zero through 177 games. And he's going to be, I think, a below average stolen or uh, run producer, runs specifically. Uh, so that means he needs to to justify a. I mean, a, I I think it's very unlikely he justifies a top thirty six pick, but you know, to be a high end hitter, he basically needs to be a standout in home runs and batting average, and he hits a lot of balls on the ground. He's got a 49% ground ball rate. It's not an Eric Hosmer-esque number, but it is uh, quite a lot for a power hitter. And so, yes, he has a career 28% home run to fly ball rate. Yes, he has a career, what is it, 3 318 Babbitt. And so you put all those things together, and he can get to a 290 average and 35 to 40 home runs and be really, really good. Uh, it's just it's a really narrow, narrow path to get there. And I think there's a lot of branches on that path where he hits 260 with 32 home runs and he's fine, but sort of replaceable. Does have a pretty um, extensive injury history as well, but continue. Chris. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I think there's a lot more ways that Eloy Jimenez goes wrong, especially as the 34th pick or 35th pick than goes right. The it, it's a, Go ahead, Scott. It's a little higher than I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think part of it is people factoring in continued improvement. He took a big step from year one to year two, and he's only 24 and obviously has the elite prospect pedigree. I, I, a small adjustment, I think, from being Aloy Jimenez is from being Marcelo Zuna. And, you know, 
my rationale is, well, if he's trying to become Marcelo Ozuna, take Ozuna first, right? And so I do rank Ozuna yeah. ahead. Ozuna and goes Ozuna's five, going 20 five spots, spots behind. Oh, only five? Uh, no, five spots. Okay. There's five spots behind uh, Luis Robert. But I do rank Ozuna ahead. So, you know, I'm probably not going to get much Robert either. But you could make the argument, too. I mean, Ozuna just had a career season and you know it had been several years since he performed anywhere near that level so maybe people are reluctant to buy into azuna completely too i don't i don't have as much of a problem as chris does with jimenez going here i guess but um it's a little high for me i guess yeah i just i've resigned myself to know i'm not getting him and if i don't I mean, I guess he takes a step forward and makes me look really bad. But otherwise, I, you know, if the skill set stays relatively constant, yeah, I think it's a relatively replaced. Like, there probably isn't that big of a difference between the most likely outcome for Michael Conforto. My opinion, my opinion may be colored by the fact that I said, oh, it's going to, Aloy Jimenez, where he's going last year is going to depend on him taking a step forward. And then he took that step forward and made me look bad. So the last thing I'll add on Eloy Jimenez is as much as he hits balls on the ground, which we don't like to see 51% ground ball rate. He hits the ball as hard as anybody. 98th percentile hard hit rate, 96th percentile barrel rate. It's kind of similar to Juan Soto in that Yes, they hit too many ground balls, but when they hit the ball in the air, it's like elite level contact in the air. So it kind of mitigates the fact that they walk, uh, that they hit the ball on the ground as much as they do. Of course, we wish that they wouldn't. Scott, Kyle Tucker just finishes the 35th overall player in Roto, 3.3 fantasy points per game. What do you think about his cost here at pick 37? It seems a little bit more doable in Roto versus head-to-head points. Yeah, I mean, in, in Roto, you gotta you gotta pay a little more than you'd like for stolen bases. That's just the way it is. And and Kyle Tucker, between the majors and the minors, he's shown he can be a reliable source of those. He is of the sort of profile where I wonder if that's going to be a long-standing thing for him. But going into year two, I would count on him for steals. And uh, you know, anybody who contributes steals while contributing a lot of other things is going to be an early rounder in that format. There are Outfielders who just as pure hitters, I trust them on a higher level than Tucker. His former teammate, George Springer, for instance. But George Springer's not stealing bases, so Tucker has to go ahead. That's that's really what it comes down to. Luis Robert is going two picks later than Kyle Tucker. And it was an interesting season for Robert because he got off to this great start. First 33 games, 298 batting average, 10 home runs, four steals, with a 31% strikeout rate, which you don't love to see, obviously, uh, but he was, you know, performing in spite of it. Uh, but his final 23 games from September 1st on, a 136 batting average for Robert, one home run, still ran. He had five steals during that time. Uh, the strikeout rate went up to 34%. His hard contact rate, final 23 games, 18%. Just looked completely lost at the plate. Chris, who is the real Luis Robert, and who would you take between him and? Kyle Tucker in a Roto League? I think I have Kyle Tucker like one or two spots ahead in the overall rankings. I have them with the same uh, salary, so I I don't think there's much of a difference there. I have pretty similar expectations. Robert probably has a little more stolen base potential, but there are some really frightening things in Luis Robert's profile. He swings at everything. Uh, He had a 57% swing rate last year, 82% in the zone, which is pretty good, but 43% uh, on pitches outside of the strike zone. And he had the third lowest uh, contact rate in baseball. It was only better than Keston Hira, which, red alert, and Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano was higher than Keston Hira last year. Big red alert for uh, Keston Hira, but also, you know, pretty concerning for Luis Robert that he was in the Miguel Sano neighborhood there. Um, He's outrageously talented. He's a ridiculously, ridiculously skilled or talented baseball player. I don't know if he's yet a skilled baseball player, but he's probably going to steal 20 plus bases, maybe 25 or 30, and he's going to hit for power. And if he hits 240, I think you live with it. If he's hitting 30 homers and stealing 20 bases, Luis Robert is kind of like the Adalberto Mondesi of the outfield. He doesn't have as much speed and he walks more. So I want to give him credit where it's due, but a 22% swinging strike rate for Luis Robert last season as a rookie, that was number one among qualified hitters 
last season. Scott, you mentioned Marcelo Zuna a few times already. He just finished as the number one outfielder in both Roto and head-to-head points in 2020. I'll just lump him and George Springer together. It seems like they really excel in the points league format. Um, But, I mean, they're useful regardless. But Mm -hmm. I I would say they're probably better in points. What do you think about both of those guys, Springer and uh, Marcelo Zuna? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to take them over some of the base dealers in points leagues. But you mentioned it. Marcelo Zuna was the number one outfielder in both formats last year. I don't think he's going to do quite that again because that had him hitting 338, you know, and that's just, I'd bet against most any player repeating that number. But it, I, I do think the direction Ozuna went last year, taking the stud turn, I do think it was more or less legitimate. He was somebody who we looked at, uh, we looked at some of the stat cast numbers for him heading into last season, and and like, wow, this guy, this guy has been underachieving for a while now. And uh, last year with the Braves, it seemed like, um, it seemed like he figured out how to get the most of his tools and. Uh, and live up to those expected stats. I do want to follow up with something about Robert because I actually, among everybody we've named at this position so far, he's the one that I think has the most bust potential. My bust 2.0 are actually coming out tomorrow, and he's one of the more high-profile players (gasps) in it. Uh, In addition to to having that bat, like... I, I used to write off any player who had the kind of strikeout rate Luis Robert did last year, just immediately not worth the time. I used to write them all off. The who really changed my mind on that was Aaron, um, Aaron judge. Uh, and we've seen others like Joey Gallo, Miguel Sano at times, but the, the people who the players who overcome a strikeout rate that high, the strikeout rate like Robert had last year, make exceptionally hard contact, like top-of-the-league type exit velocities. And Robert, 34th percentile in average exit velocity last year. His hard hit rate, you know, if you just wanted to pay attention to the upper end, 56th percentile. It wasn't, it wasn't a standout in that category. And, you know, obviously just starting his career, chance he gets better at that. There's a chance he gets better very quickly. Um, you know, I called Fernando Tatis a bust heading into last year. He got better really quickly. Uh, and Robert could too, but for the price, I just think there's too much downside, and he showed it in September. Chris, among this group, Scott, did you have okay. anything else to say? That was it. Uh, no, Chris- I was going to say that it do- it just does sound like a lot like Fernando Tatis. And one place that I think they they both have in common is uh, the barrel rate was higher than the rest of their kind of expected or their their various stat cast data and. Um, you know, I think that what that tells you that there is that they're both exceeding on the very high end. You know, barrels are batted balls hit over X mile per hour between X degrees of launch angle. Um, it's optimal and, contact, basically. Yeah, basically. And Luis Robert had a 13% mark in 2020. Uh, that is right around where Fernando Tatis was at a 13.2%. So. That's the one thing is that there's just, it's kind of like that max exit velocity versus ad, average exit velocity where, you know, maybe barrel rate is kind of a, a proxy for potential. Um, and it's just a question of whether he can put it together. Chris, just give me a name among this group. Eloy Jimenez, Kyle Tucker, Luis Robert, Marcelo Zuna, George Springer, the outfielder you're most likely to take. Uh, most likely to take is probably Marcelo Zuna. Scott? I would agree. I hardly ever take an outfielder from this range. This is kind of the outfield dead zone in my mind. You mentioned how few outfielders are going off the board on average here uh, after a lot in the first two rounds. Uh, And usually I'm just focused on starting pitcher. I'm usually focused on uh, whichever third baseman falls between Bregman and and uh, and Rendon, or I'm drafting Corey Seager or somebody like that. I mean, I'm really not focused on outfield yet, which is why I usually end up taking my first outfielder really late. And I usually don't have that big of a, I just don't have that big of a drop off after this point at outfield. Whereas it seems like there is one in ADP. If you are watching on video, don't go anywhere. If you're listening on the podcast, we are going to take a quick break. But when we return, we will hit sleepers, breakouts, and busts here on Fantasy Baseball Today. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. And we're back. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Scott, why don't you get us started with a sleeper at the outfield position? lot to choose from here, it being such a big position. I'm going to go with Trey Mancini, though, as my favorite outfielder to draft. Coming off, uh, you know, he missed all of 2020, dealing with colon cancer. Obviously a serious health battle for him, but he seems to be back on track. He's... Obviously, reporting to spring training, he says he's back to 100%. And this is a guy who in 2019, when we last saw him playing, it was, uh, I like to call it J.D. Martinez-type numbers. Batting average over 290. Uh, he hit 35 home runs, I think. Never get this. I can never get this to load as yeah, that's when I need it. 35 home runs, 106 runs, 97 RBI, and 899 OPS for Trey Mancini yeah. in 2019. And, and look, it, nobody was expecting him to do that. So, you know, even heading into last year, early on before the the colon cancer was discovered, uh, you know, we saw him going the ninth, 10th round range, but I was way into him then. And now that he's going even later, um, you know, if he, have a, if he has a clean bill of health, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine. I think we should approach him as... We were coming out of uh, 2019, and if that's the case, it means he's going several rounds too late. And so I'm happy to take him in the 15th round. He's exactly the kind of player uh, who I, I think makes it justifiable to pass up on outfielders early because he's somebody you can grab late who may end up performing like an early rounder at the position. Mancini is a perfect example of a player, too, where if he looks good in the spring... He starts hitting a few home runs. His ADP is just going to skyrocket too. So keep that Probably, in mind yeah. if you're uh, if you're drafting early here regarding Trey Mancini. Chris, in between wrestling your cat, why don't you give us a sleeper here She's in the, at the outfield position uh, right now? Uh, I'll go with a little bit of a deeper sleeper, and that is Joe Adele. It's not clear what his. It doesn't seem like he's going to have a role on the Angels opening day. Roster and that seems to be more clear after the acquisition of Dexter Fowler. However, it is worth keeping in mind that this is a guy who uh, he made his professional debut as a 21 year old and he had 224 career games played. That is a remarkably small number of games for a very young player to have made their major league debut. Obviously, uh, injuries have played a part in that. Not having the opportunity to play minor league games last season played a part in that. Uh, but I do just want to point that out because this guy was, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball. I think the consensus was right around number two or number three last season. And there were some really, there were, there were some bad stuff in his major league debut. He had the highest in zone, con- the lowest in zone contact rate in baseball. That's really bad. Uh, it was really easy to get him to swing and miss. He needs to cut his strikeout rate a lot, but. Average exit velocity of 90.6 miles per hour. Max exit velo of 115.5 miles per hour. Uh, like I said, that is a, you know, usually a pretty good proxy for raw power. He is, uh, Joe Adele is someone who is probably going to have to go down to the minors and prove himself. But with a hot spring training and a hot start down in AAA, I think it's entirely possible Joe Adele comes back to the majors fairly early 
and you know turns into a five category stud. Let's not forget. Totally unfair comparison, and I'm not saying he is this guy at all, but Mike Trout was a disaster in his first taste of the majors. He was, you know, a couple years younger, but Joe Adele was still very young. So I will throw him out there. He's someone I like uh, stashing at the end of my bench in a Roto League. Yeah, I've made that comp before, too, not based on the talent or what we're expecting. But yeah, Mike Trout struggled when he first came up. I don't think it's... What I do think is crazy is that Joe Adele's ADP right now is 348. So we're usually so quick to write off prospects who just don't succeed right away. So he'll get some seasoning in the minors, but I guarantee you Dexter Fowler is not going to stop Joe Adele from returning to the majors if he is performing well uh, down in the minors. Sleeper for me. No surprise here. You see the Yankee stuff behind me. Clint Frazier, ADP 181. He has shown us flashes. He has a very quick bat and some stack cast numbers that back it up to an 11% barrel rate for his career. League average is 6.4%. The biggest issue for Clint Frazier has just been getting consistent playing time. And last week, one of the first days of spring training, Aaron Boone said, he is our starting left fielder. Clint Frazier will start in left field. And I hope that doesn't change even with Brett Gardner returning to the team. So um, keep all of those things in mind. But I think we can get, you know, 270 plus batting average, 30 plus home runs. I don't think it's crazy for Clint Frazier. It won't change it. Yeah. Brett Gardner was with the team last year. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know why people just tuned out what the Yankees were doing with their outfield last year. This are, this was already settled last year. Clint Frazier had the job and was great. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why there was any doubt he was going to have it again. Yeah. He's going to strike out quite a bit, probably around like 25 to 30%, but career best 15.6% walk rate for Clint Frazier last year as well. Uh, should help mitigate some of those strikeouts in a points league. Scott, a breakout in the outfield. Okay, so this was a my big breakout for last year. It didn't go quite as planned, but I'm going there again with Nick Castellanos. Didn't go quite as planned, but he did hit 14 home runs in the 60-game season, and we've never seen that kind of output from, power output from him over a full season. Uh, you know, the argument for him was, okay, he, he spent all those years in Detroit, a park that couldn't have been worse suited for him, very specifically him, because not only is it is it big, but it's big, especially in right center, where he hits a lot of fly balls. And so a lot of potential home runs were just killed there. And then he goes from there to Cincinnati, very small park. And we saw the power output, but we saw, you know, he ended up hitting only 225 because it was a short season and, and weird stuff happens in a short season. He's kind of this year's Marcelo Zuna, where if you look at the actual stats versus the expected stats, okay, Nick Castellanos should have been a lot better. Uh, expected batting average of 273, expected slug of 542 versus 486, what he actually slugged. Um, you know, the strikeout rate was higher than we're used to seeing. The, he had some bad Babbitt luck. Castellanos did the kind of things you, you would expect to bring down somebody's numbers over a short sample brought down Nick Castellanos' numbers over a short sample. But I think if he had had an additional four months, we would have seen him continue with that kind of power output, and we would have seen him do all the other things we've always seen him do as a hitter. Hit a lot of line drives, be a good source of batting average. Uh, potentially with all the free hits going over the fence, he, maybe he becomes a great source of batting average, as good of a line drive hitter as Nick Castellanos is. I still think there's like, you know... A Nolan Arenado, second player we've compared to Arenado this podcast. Nolan Arenado, like uh, outcome in there for Nick Castellanos, and uh, happy to take him at his going rate, which is eighty. It's about the eightieth player overall. So I mean, you know, Nolan Arenado does have an OPS right around eight hundred on the road. So yeah, but I mean, maybe maybe the maybe the comp isn't so off for Elon Jimenez and Nick. <laughs> I mean, Nolan Arenado at face value, Chris. Don't go corrupting my argument here. Don't do it. I do have a Nick Castellano stat as well. Among twenty three qualified hitters with a twenty five percent line drive rate or better, Castellanos's two fifty seven BABIP was by far the lowest. And he has a career 329 BABIP. So I would expect some batting average regression for Nick Cassianos. I'm in 100%. I'm with you, Scott. My breakouts 2.0 came out on Friday. You can check those out, cbsports.com. And Nick Cassianos is one of them. Chris, a breakout in the outfield. 
Yeah, and I just want to add the the Reds just they had the a two forty five Babbitt as a team that was twenty one points lower than any other team in baseball last what year. What happened? The there? For, it was the lowest for a full season. They I don't know. I think they faced Trevor Bauer like three times. That was probably part of it. Or no, they didn't. He was no, on their team. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what I was thinking of? Maybe they, they backed up Trevor let's Bauer. Just, let's yeah. just edit that one out. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> all right, a breakout for Chris. Um, I'll throw out Austin Meadows as one. Uh, that's more like a re-breakout. My cat is being extremely insistent that he I get really, attention right now. He was angry about the Trevor Bauer thing. He's like, <laughs> how could you get that wrong, Chris? Uh, but the one I want to focus on, Ian Happ, since returning from uh, AAA last season, he has a 260 average, 880 OPS in 115 games with a 33 homer pace uh, for 162. That is even more impressive than it sounds because he's only started 81 of those 115 games. He has 20 homers in those 81 starts. If you do the math, that is a 40 homer pace over 162 games. (laughs) He is in the 84th percentile in average exit velocity, 89th in hard hit rate, 71st in expected slug. And the biggest thing he's fixed since his first stint in the majors, he's cut that strikeout rate to a much much more uh, manageable 25 to 27% range. I think Ian Happ can hit 265 with 35 homers. I don't think, I don't think he's going to hit 40 homers, you know, especially with the dead and ball. But that's you know he's shown the the power potential for that kind of thing. I could see him scoring 100 runs. I could see him driving in 80 runs. I could see him kind of being not that different from what I expect Eloy Jimenez to be, uh, with the runs and RBI just kind of swapped there. So. You know, I think Ian Happ, he's going about 150th overall. I think Ian Happ's going to have a really, really good season at the top of a much better Cubs lineup and uh, be one of the better values in outfield this season. Again, that is Ian Happ with an ADP of 155, according to Fantasy Pros. Breakout for me, I'm going to another former. I guess he's not a prospect anymore, but Dylan Carlson has an ADP of 165. He got off to a terrible start in 2020. He got sent back to the alternate site, and then when he returned, it was his 12 games, his final 12 games, he hit 278 with seven extra base hits and was making a lot more hard contact during that time. And in the postseason, he was walking. He hit cleanup all four games for the Cardinals. He's probably not going to do that now that they have Arenado, but I expect Carlson's going to bat fifth, maybe sixth, and then you know slowly move up the lineup there. But he's the lineup context for him is going to be really, really good. And he was a beast in the minors in 2019. I mean, the way we were talking about him last year, Dylan Carlson hit 292 with 26 home runs and 20 steals in the minors in 2019. So I'm not expecting those things, but I think a bit of a power-speed combination. Yeah. The only concern I have, and this was the concern going into last season, was... 2019 was a significant outlier for his minor league track record. He had a 914 OPS that season. He had never had an OPS in a season higher than 738. He was young. They had been really aggressive with his promotions. Um, And so there was some thought that this was always what they thought he could be. But, you know, the fact that he then followed up in the majors with a disappointing rookie season, I'm just, I'm a little worried about it, I guess. Well, Chris, I will let you know that Randy Arozarena had an OPS over 1,000 in the minors in 2019, and his previous high was 792. So, boom. Yeah. I don't know if that means yeah. anything. Probably not, but... It's, you know... Sometimes play, guys get better, and Dylan Carlson was really young. He was 19 uh, in 2018. Right. He was always very young for his level, and, you know, I, I'm going to I'm gonna trust the the evaluators on this, that it wasn't, it wasn't just smoke and mirrors, that breakout season. You know, part of player development is getting better. Um, but we don't know until it happens. Um, I, I, I think Carlson's a justifiable breakout pick, though, for sure. Scott, give us a quick bust here in the outfield. Okay, so the bust I was most confident in last year was Madison Bumgarner. The bust I'm most confident in this year is an outfielder named Teoscar Hernandez. And I don't understand why everybody else is so on board with Hernandez. Usually everybody's skeptical of the mid-career breakout. This mid-career breakout happens to come during a very short season, and it's like everybody's buying in, I guess, because you know he stole six bases, and so they're hoping they can get some speed there too. I don't know. 
Kind of kind of a desperation pick. You want bad plate discipline? It's Teoscar Hernandez's 30.4% strikeout rate. You know, he's a guy who's been, always been over 30. It's just terrible. That was like there wasn't yeah. There wasn't enough improvement there for me to buy into him being this 289 hitter. Really uh what fueled the breakout for Hernandez was just completely off the charts exit velocity and hard hit rate. Like some of the best in all of baseball. Now he was always pretty good at hitting the ball hard, but this was just a completely different level so far over what he did before that it kind of stands to reason over a short season, it probably just got hot, right? Like it, 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 that's what it looks like to me. It's not like the batted ball profile changed for Teoscar Hernandez. He just did the stuff he normally does well even harder over a small sample. Looks like a hot streak, guys. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, but I, I think Teoscar Hernandez is going to come crashing back down to earth. Yeah, I mean, when a guy makes a jump in uh, ADP from, this is correct, 332 last season uh, <laughs> up to 76, I want to see new skills. And we didn't see anything new from Teoscar Hernandez. That's the thing is that, like you said, he just, we always knew he could hit the ball hard. We always knew he was a good athlete. We always knew he was fast. We didn't learn anything new about Teoscar Hernandez, but suddenly he's 260 picks more expensive. It doesn't make any sense. I'm 100% there with you. I have a feeling... Chris might not like my guy, Trent Grisham, but we'll talk more about him tomorrow. Chris, give me a bust in the outfield. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not a Trent Grisham guy. He's definitely in my bust discussion. I think Teoscar Hernandez is as well. And uh, Eloy Jimenez is my official pick as a an outfield bust. And <sighs> I, like, I don't think he's going to not be a fantasy-relevant player. I just think there's a decent chance he gives you I don't know, Max Kepler numbers and Max Kepler costs a lot less or Michael Conforto or, you know, there's, there's no shortage of guys who can hit for power who don't steal bases and, you know, might be a batting average liability. Castellanos, Castellanos is the one, Chris, that I could see. Sure. Castellanos is going (laughs) 55 picks later than him and it's 45 picks later than him. Yeah. It's not a knock for me on Eli because I really do like him, but, if Castellanos breaks out the way we think he could, I don't I don't think that their lines would be that dissimilar. Yeah, I just... I, I think even Mike Yastrzemski could be, be pretty similar. I just... It's, a, it's the easiest skill set in baseball, and he has to really, really hit like his... You know, not his highest end outcome, but, you know, a relatively high one to, to stand out given his skill set. The bus for me is a player who also has a similar skill set, but he hits the ball a little bit harder. Probably uh, (laughs) the hardest in baseball outside of his teammate, of course. Uh, And Aaron Judge, for me, is going at pick 50 in ADP. I think the upside is still massive. If he stays healthy, he can hit 50 home runs in Yankee Stadium. It's not crazy. But the main reason I have him as a bus is because I, I think you can get very similar numbers to Judge in Giancarlo Stanton, who is going... 60 picks later, legitimately 60 picks. His ADP is 110. Now, Stanton is utility only. He doesn't have outfield eligibility. So, you know, obviously that is uh, that is something in the favor of Judge. Should it be worth 60 picks? I tend to lead towards no, it should not be worth that much. Both of them have their injury concerns. Judge has missed 37% of his games over the past three seasons. And these are recurring injuries too. I mean, it's oblique consistently. He just... He's such a massive human being. I don't know that players who play baseball are supposed to be built the way that Aaron Judge is. He's had serious injuries every single season of his major league career. Because you remember the the almost MVP season, he needed shoulder surgery at the end. Yep. You know, in the offseason. Yeah, so it's just it's another reason why to me I just think the price is too high at uh, at ADP fifty. I will say, in a points league or in, in an OBP context, I I can't really knock the pick, but in like any type of batting average five by five or headset categories with batting average. I just think Aaron judge doesn't really uh, give you that much of a different skill set than someone like John Carlo Stanton. So I was going to get to a few more players in ADP, but seeing as we don't have much time left, I'll just save these for tomorrow and we could just hit on 30 to 40 
outfielders tomorrow if we can. Scott, let's wrap up with some prospects. Any names that we need to know uh, in the outfield? I brought up the name Randy Rosarena once before, and he has an ADP inside the top 60 now. So uh, what do you want to tell us about him? He is still prospect eligible. Uh, and any other yeah. names we need to notice in the outfield? Well, there was no bigger prospect riser last year than Randy Arozarena, right? Like, it's amazing he still qualifies as a prospect because if you factor in postseason, clearly would not. Uh, but just regular season at bats, he, he's technically there. So the combined 17 home runs he hit last year give you some insight into what he could be. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to draft much of him because he's going 59th overall, so people are buying in. 100% to what he's doing. I'm probably 85% buying in. Um, so, you know, the fact that he steals some bases, I understand him going that early. But, you know, you're not really factoring any possibility for regression there. And uh, that concerns me a little. Uh, other rookies, uh, you mentioned Carlson already, Frank. He's obviously a big one. The outfielder who I would have highlighted for sleepers if I didn't highlight Trey Mancini would have been Alex Kirilov, who is in line to take over for the Twins in left field this year. They actually called him up to start a playoff game. So he's, he's you know, zero of major league stats officially, but he went one for four in a playoff game, Kirilov did. And that shows you the level of trust they have in him. He's a guy who we've seen up put We've seen put up ridiculous numbers in the minors in the past. I remember he was getting some uh, Christian Yelich comps. You know, he's not as, as athletic as Yelich, but just in terms of the kind of hitter he could be, he was getting some Christian Yelich comps after he hit 348 with 20 homers and 44 doubles uh, two years ago. Or in 2018, I should say. And then in 2019, the numbers went way down. He was dealing with a wrist injury. Apparently last year at the alternate training site, he got a lot of that back back to full health. He was crushing the ball. Uh, Baseball America moved his his hit score, his his um, skill, you know, the skill scores they give out, the 20 to 80, 80 scores. Um, they give him a 70 hit tool. They give him a 60 power tool. And like 60 of anything is, is great. You don't see a, a lot of players get a 60 for anything. So forget a, get a 60 for power like Kirilov did, which isn't even his best tool. And then to get a 70 for hitting, I mean, you're talking about a first division type hitter here in Kirilov, who's now inheriting an everyday job for the Twins. It doesn't seem like it's a competition on any level. 268th player off the board, Kirilov is. So love getting him as my fifth outfielder. Scott, when do you think we see Jared Kelnick from the Mariners? That's a tough one. I mean, the Mariners aren't expected to compete. I don't think they will. Um, we will see him this year. I'm pretty confident in that. It It's just a question of whether it'll be, you know, kind of a late May call-up, early May call-up, I guess, is possible, or if they're going to wait until the Super 2 thing is off the table and call him up mid-summer. Um, I haven't been as eager to draft him as Wander Franco. I think Franco has a better chance of being up early than than Kelnick, but you know, Kelnick's the one who's often mentioned as a possible candidate to be the top prospect in baseball alongside Franco there, and they're at very similar stages of their development. So Kelnick is deserving of some enthusiasm there too. There's probably a lot of outfield prospects that I haven't mentioned either. I just went on about Kirilov so much and uh, maybe missed some other ones. So uh, I had Christian yeah, but- Pache on, on the rundown. From the Christian Braves. Pache, right, taking over as the Braves center fielder. Didn't put up big numbers in the minors, but there are a lot of scouting reports. It's like a key Brian Hayes, Francisco Lindor kind of thing. Right, because he makes contact at a good rate and extremely athletic. Defense, like he's going to be a multi-gold glove winner, Christian yeah. Pache is. So he's another one of those prospects, and, and some of the scouting reports actually talk about it, where you could see him taking a big step forward offensively in the majors. Um not somebody I'm super eager to draft, but you know, as as a bench guy in a roto league, you know, just just trying to to hopefully uh, catch a breakthrough there. You know, he has the job. Pache definitely has the job for the Braves. He was starting in the NLCS last year. It'll be exciting to see what he can do as a full time major leaguer. Yeah, I don't think it would be crazy for Pache to hit 
15 homers and steal 15 bases uh, this season. So that would definitely be useful as a fourth or fifth outfielder in a roto league. So just pay attention there. I don't know how much this is worth, but I saw this was going around Twitter on Sunday afternoon. We are recording this February 21st. But uh, Seattle Mariners president Kevin Mather basically current Seattle Mariners. Yeah. (laughs) President (laughs) Kevin Mather. We'll see if uh, he remains Seattle Mariners president Kevin Mather. Yeah, this he, week he basically embarrassed himself in the organization and said a bunch of stupid things. But among the things, it was that, like a leaked video uh, from like a what was supposed to be like a private uh, investors meeting or something like that. Yeah, and he mentioned that they offered Kelnick a six-year contract extension this offseason, and he declined it. And he's betting on himself. And he also said that Kelnick and Logan Gilbert would be up by late April. So I don't know if you want to trust that, but. Yeah, if you do, then you probably want to take Kelnick with one of the last picks in your redraft leagues because uh, definitely could pay off dividends. One of the biggest prospects in baseball, Jared Kelnick, in 2019, yeah. hit 291, OPS over 900. Uh, that was across three different levels, 23 homers and 20 steals. So lots to be excited yeah, about there. I think he's going to be a, a monster. I'm so excited for Jared Kelnick. I, I I'm I really really think he could be like a a first or second round type fantasy player in the future. He is uh he's really beefed up the last few years as well and apparently at the uh at their alternate site the the stack cast numbers or whatever they would be were were pretty off the charts for him. Uh so I and think he should he be a base be, dealer. Yeah, I think he could out. be the the comp I made in my prospect profile for him last year was Francisco Lindor with more strikeouts or Trevor Story with fewer strikeouts. Obviously, that's a ceiling ceiling comp, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know that that kind of neighborhood isn't out of the question. Yeah, I comped him to Austin Meadows 2019, but better potentially. So uh, that's <laughs> yeah, I said Tommy Pham as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's not crazy there. If you've seen the videos, I mean, this guy hit a line drive off of a frisbee or something like that. So it's just it's <laughs> gonna be absolutely awesome. It's it's great. Uh, everyone's looking for, uh, forward to Jared Kelnick, except for Mets fans, of course. Boom, roasted for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow with our Outfield Preview Part Two. Bye bye. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.